And welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. We are your hosts. I am Stephen Weed. He is Wally Lukashensky. We have no David today. The man's busy. The man's grinding. Everyone needs a day off. Even God himself like David Clavin. Before I toss it over to Wally to see how his weekend was, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order as well as free shipping. I know it was a great Sunday for you, Wally. It's been a few days since we spoke last, but how was your weekend, man? Weekend was pretty good. I mean, negatives, baseball is basically over because I hate both of the teams in a World Series. That's, That's miserable. a positive. Uh, I mean, it's positive, I suppose. Now, I'm with you guys where I'm not even going to acknowledge the winner. The Penguins are the best hockey team alive, so that has me excited. And naturally, as you kind of mentioned, Raiders, that helped everything out as well. They finally get back on the, the winning page. The last time they won a game, I can tell you, the weather wasn't changing. And that's another way that I'm kind of changing. It makes me happy. This time of year, it's cold. It's fat guy weather. You get all the fun colors. So I, I can't be any happier if I wanted to be, Steven. Hope you're doing okay. I know it wasn't the best Sunday afternoon anyways for you. But otherwise, how are you doing, man? I had a great time this weekend. Had one of my buddies, Brock Chamberlain, who just moved down to Charleston, uh, come up this weekend for a boys' weekend. He had a free time, so just flew up and got to hang out with him. Got way too drunk Saturday. Even had a little bit of a Sunday fun day yesterday, which made the Sunday a little bit better, mostly because I was also surrounded by Brock, who's a Lions fan, and a bunch of Browns fans. So we were all collectively miserable together um, right before we left for the 4 o'clock games. But all in all, I thought it was a successful weekend, and I'm ready for the next one. I'm already ready for football Sunday. At that fun part of the year where, yes, you're miserable because you're like, wait a minute, week eight, we're about halfway through, and then you start making yourself sad. But at the same time, I enjoy this time of year because with the exception of a handful of teams, everybody feels like they have a shot still, and it makes these next three, four weeks up until about Thanksgiving feel all the more important. And like even on the NFC side, like myself, I don't want to take away from too much what we're going to talk about in the in the previews or the recaps of the games. But going in there, we have six teams in the NFC that are that have a three and four record. This is going to be ugly competitive. This is almost going to be like I can't even call it the NFC East anymore because they're dominant. The NFC South competitive, right? Everyone's going to have an ugly record. They're going to brawl to the death here to get that final couple, or honestly, the final one wild card spot between the way that these teams are playing in the NFC. So this is going to be a little fun. I know it's not as flashy as we want it to be on this side, but it's going to get competitive down the stretch to your point when it comes around that Thanksgiving time. And we have the World Cup starting in like two and a half, three weeks. And don't forget, Wally, me and you right here, shout out to Evan Desker. We have a Vegas trip coming up next weekend. Are you ready for that? I'm as ready as I'm going to ever be. We're going to have, what, 12 days out now. So that'll be interesting. I'm already dreading the plane ride in. That's the only part I don't like about Vegas is as a big man, that is a long flight. So I got to survive. I got the emergency exit row. That's important. But here's the thing, too. About this football season, you brought up the three and four teams. It might just be because I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not a Bills fan. But these are the kind of years I strive and, like, crave for because – there's not an elite, elite team beyond the Bills, beyond the Chiefs. Even in Philadelphia, we are talking about how they have issues. That's a really exciting prospect where all you have to do is get into the playoffs and you feel like you have a puncher's chance. We saw it last year. No one expected a rams Bengals Super Bowl, and yep. look what we get. That, so, I mean, that's a good thing about football nowadays. Parity is as primed as it's ever been. 
Boom, right? That's all I was going to say. He took it right out. It's like we turned a page in the NFL and there's parity. I mean, if you look across, I know the scoring around the NFL is down. Even fantasy points, if you want to go as that far, the outcome of fantasy or fantasy games and their points are like the lowest they've been. And I don't know, it's been 10 years, 15 years, something like that. So it's almost like it's finally nice to see it's a little bit more defensive of a game, right? With how much the offense is credited and babied and coddled. It's nice to see the defense still coming out on top with having the deficiencies of horrible callings or horrible protections of the offense versus the defensive players. Yeah, and as a Big Ten football fan, as you know, I eat this shit up. Bring on these Denver-Indianapolis 12-9 overtime games. I enjoy it. You're a sick, sick man. I might be, but I tell you what, I am living – for this defense of renaissance we're seeing right now. So I'm all about it. You're like Jeffrey Dahmer. You're going to bring people in and say, you know, obviously if you guys have all seen the show, they even have means about it. He said, no, we're going to sit here and watch this Denver Colts game. Yeah, I'll let I you go. You. Or, I'll let you go after we watch the Broncos and Colts game. Just shh. Zach Wilson's about to try to scramble out of the pocket and win this game against Denver again. Yeah. There's too much. <laughs> Zach Wilson's going to win another game with 250 total yards. Yeah, I don't know how he does it. This could have been done in the email. Let's get this out of the way here before we get to our the games of the week, at least that we think, so we can have some talking points. First one on this map, we have the Thursday night game. The New Orleans Saints lose to the Arizona Cardinals 42-34, to RIP and under on the primetime Thursday night games. My goodness, they blew this out of the water. Andy Dalton throws two pick sixes within a minute of each other. This looks bad. But is this finally the game that gets Arizona back and maybe talking about a little competitive streak here down the road? It's kind of hard to figure out how much of this is Arizona and how much of this was those two pick sixes back-to-back. I mean, this is a, a Cardinals team that had 25 second-quarter points. You don't really have an idea too much of the offense because of the Saints. But at the end of the day, you get D-Hop back. He looked good. And credit to them, it's still a win. Unfortunately for you, you can't say the same for your Green Bay Packers. They fall short in Washington. It makes the third straight game now that the Packers have lost outright when they're favored by five and a half or more points. They suck, Steven. I hate to say it, but I think I'm jumping off your ship. Can I join you? Can we hold hands and jump into the abyss here together? Four. The number of touches Aaron Jones had the first drive of the game. I think he ended with around 17 between nine receptions and eight rushes. Eight rushes. Yes, he had two touchdowns. Am I just being unclear? Is there not enough Packer GMs listening to this podcast? Feed the ball to Aaron Jones. I don't care if it's 25, 30, 35 times in a row. Feed the ball to him because you saw what he was able to do on the first drive. The offensive line actually looked decent after they revamped it here. And shout out to Zach Tom, the rookie who came in and placed for David Bakhtiari. 35 passing snaps, zero pressures. That is a rookie coming off there with Bakhtiari, who people were saying he was back. He was Bach. He's not looking good, misses this game. Green Bay isn't a whole lot of hurt. Good luck in Buffalo this week, pal. Before you go any further, I have to ask, I know this is the fast rapid fire, but I have to get your opinions as a Packer fan. Is there any belief at all that you guys can be the 2022 version of last year's Eagles team, where at some point they're forced to understand they have to run the ball? And at that point, they became a much better team. Is there any hope of that at all? 
that's what I'm thinking. And it's almost like I'm, how I think of this team could potentially be. It's just like a poor man's when we have the Super Bowl run. I'm not saying that they're going to make a Super Bowl run, but get into that six or seven seed. Play all your games on the road because we know you can't fucking play in Lambo, Aaron Rodgers. So get them on the road. Maybe they can make a little bit of run and actually have these fully healthy rosters. Some of these young guys really start picking it up over the next few weeks. But Right now, I just have no confidence in my team. I'm not completely shutting them away because you have to like them at their worst to be able to support them at their best and love them. So this this is very rough. And it makes Aaron Rodgers coming back look worse and worse each week. And my God, if there's ever a debate, of uh, was it Devontae or was it Aaron? It was Devontae. Yes, Aaron's a great quarterback, but we need somebody to take the top off the defense. Something Devontae has done even in Vegas now and in Green Bay. My God, let's make a trade. And you already know I'm going back with this, right? Hashtag fire goop. I'm looking smart each week. Everyone wants to dog me. People want to call me out on social media saying, oh, how stupid I am. Where are we at right now, bud? What is that second first round pick doing for us? Devontae White hasn't even sniffed the field here the past three weeks. I'm just so done with this. The Indianapolis Colts are done with Matty Ice. This man's getting bent after a shoulder separation, but who cares about that? They go into Tennessee, lose 19 to 10 against the Titans. Matt Ryan's looked horrible. Most giveaways in the league, and they just have no consistency for this offense at all. Yes, they got Jonathan Taylor back and Naheen Hines. Frank Wright, you are just grasping for straws right now, pal. He's in a lot of trouble because he needs Sam Ellinger to ball out. Otherwise, he basically committed head coaching suicide the other day with this. I mean, Ellinger may not be the hero we asked for, but he might be the hero that the AFC South deserves. Maybe all of a sudden, Colts back in the mix, be an AFC South champion, we might see. But our next game here, the Giants, they go, speaking of the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars, about a half yard shy. And it feels like a running theme with the Jaguars. They're just always that close. They're two and five now. And at some point, we have to talk about Trevor Lawrence taking the next step. We can't blame Urban Meyer forever. He has to start winning football games, and he has to start developing at some point. Fuck Vegas. Messing us up. Everyone and their mom wanted to take the Giants plus three and the money line. But something about this line didn't sit well with us. And we knew that Vegas knew something. Ended up that they knew nothing. And they really, really screwed us. G-Men going to six and one sitting pretty right behind Philadelphia, even though they had the bye week. So watch out. The AFC East, AFC Beast, all of a sudden, and kind of flipping the script on the in the NFL here. The Detroit Lions, the lovable losers, get another loss here when they went to Jerry World and lost to the Dallas Cowboys 24-6. to Dak didn't look amazing in this, but the Cowboys take advantage of some horrific second-half turnovers, including – Jamal Williams' first career fumble loss at the one-yard line a little bit late in this game. David drilled it. This is an offense that we were so high on that has come to a screeching halt in the last two weeks. This is coming off of a bye where the week before they scored zero points in New England. This is all of a sudden very embarrassing and something to really keep your eye on because as excited as we were, it's not translating anymore. And if the Lions are 3-14, and 4-13 and come January, are we having to have an uncomfortable conversation about this regime where for the longest time it felt like a match made in heaven? Also, if Dak can even get back to half of what he used to be, this is a Super Bowl contending Dallas team with how their defense is right now. 
forced five turnovers on Sunday. The Lions had six second-half drives and they had five turnovers. Let that sink in. My Raiders invited the Houston Texans in. They actually trailed on Sunday 20-17 to entering the fourth quarter, and that's when Josh Jacobs, you drilled it last week. He's this offense right now. Last three games, 143 yards, three touchdowns, 154 yards, one touchdown, 144 yards, two touchdowns. He's running hard. I'm not ready to say that they're back, but with the AFC as it is right now, they have a position to play themselves back into the playoff discussions over the next month. We're just crossing our fingers at this point, Stephen. For all the slack and everything I've been kind of coming down on the Raiders O-line, I mean, Josh Jacobs is playing out of his mind. I just wish I could see my team give a running back 20 touches because Josh Jacobs has as many 20-touch games this year as Aaron Jones has probably combined the last, like, five years. I think he has five games in his career of 20-plus touches. And Josh Jacobs almost has just as much, if not more, over less than a month of the last season. This is ridiculous. I want to go – I want to say that they're all the way back. Well, they're making it back, right? Want to know this week. That's all you're looking for, Wally. You guys can start kind of spinning the wheel here and all of a sudden making some noise. The New York Jets – Go to mile high and come out victorious over the Denver Broncos and Brian Ripen. I don't even fucking know what this dude's name is. 16 to nine, ugly game. Brees Hall ends up tearing his ACL. We have Elijah Veritucket tearing his triceps. Both of them are out for the year. We have Corey Davis getting hurt right where uh, Elijah Moore wants this team right here in this offense, begging for him to come back. This is the easiest bet, in my opinion, on this week. Jets are sitting right behind the Bills for first place in the East. Endeavor somehow look just as bad without Russell Wilson as they do with him. David and I had very similar thoughts going into this, and we're in a similar spot again where I want so badly to respect the Jets. And with these injuries, these are catastrophic injuries to what was a really, really fun year. I mean, five and two before you lose your rookie running back and you lose your second year all-purpose offensive lineman. Guy's been playing right tackle. He's been playing left tackle. He's been guard. He can go everywhere, and he's been doing it at a high level. I hope that I'm not overreacting, but 260 total yards again for the Jets. Again, at some point, we have to see more out of these second-year quarterbacks. None of them are doing it, and we're really not criticizing him outside of, obviously, Justin Fields. He's looked like shit. We can all agree on that. But we have to see it from Zach Wilson. We have to see it from Trevor Lawrence. Thankfully, Denver, though, with Rippon, like you said, God, I love this Broncos team, dude. They're so bad. It's awesome. It's so bad because their their defense is filthy. It's I mean, such a on. shame. They deserve so much better. They do. Well, guess you should have tried to get Aaron Rodgers here and get him out of here, and maybe Green Bay could have just been stuck with Jordan Love and probably the same record, if not a little bit worse, which – we're not going to get into that. I can sit here and bitch about my team all day. That's going to end. This could have been covered in the email section. Let's get over to the week seven recap of some of the games that we thought stood out. Before I toss it to Wally for us to get it started, we want you to know this week's NFL recap for week seven is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're Wally and I's age where it feels like there's college graduations, baby pictures, engagements. Every weekend, they feel like they're happening. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y. Or on her Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. Week five, 
Unfortunately, the resident Browns fan isn't here, but I was at the bar here having a little bit of a Sunday fun day yesterday. And I got, this is the only game I was actually able to hear. The Ravens squeak out 23 to 20 win. Stop if you heard this before, give Nick Chubb the ball. The Browns now fall to 0-5 when Nick Chubb doesn't have 20 or more touches. By the way, they're 2-0 when you have them 20-plus touches. I'm just saying. Questionable clock management here. By the NFL, not necessarily Browns. I don't want to get too, in it too late here. I'll kind of wait for you to hop on here. But, Wally, the Ravens look like they're ready to blow another lead here. And the Browns just look like they're ready to blow their brains out. I guess the real question is, how much are we yelling at Stefanski again this week? I should actually start by reading his little note he left for us. But to answer your question, I don't think you really learned much about either team. If anything, it definitively told you that Baltimore has a problem keeping leads. For better or worse, it's both sides of the ball, too. But here's what David wrote, and I want to read this first because I do disagree at first. He goes, it's not a Stefanski or a Chubb problem. We did enough to win yet again. If Cooper doesn't commit that offensive pass interference, it's a win. If Jacoby Brissett doesn't miss Cooper earlier in the game, it's a win. Defense did enough, given the injuries and lack of talent in three position groups. Blah, blah, blah. And he mentioned that the NFL will get to the questionable call here in a minute. But I want to focus on the Ravens. This is four times now that at home, they've had a double-digit lead, and they felt like they were trying to blow it. They were finally, it felt like putting together an offensive drive that could end a game like this and not put themselves in a bad position. And they fumbled a ball with about four minutes left deep into Brown's territory when they could have put the game to bed. It's on both sides of the ball. It's a team that feels scared of the big moment right now. And they're not stepping up, whether it be Lamar throwing an interception, whether it be running backs fumbling the ball, wide receivers fumbling the ball, on the defensive side of the ball, not having critical pass rush in the, in the last few minutes of a game, not having good secondary play. It's a problem that isn't going to go away. And we'll get into the other teams in the AFC North, but I mean, Baltimore should be counting their lucky stars that they beat the Bengals a few weeks ago. Cause I really do feel like that game could be what could potentially get them into the wild card. Because this feels like a team with a million holes right now, Stephen. And we've been talking about how great Lamar Jackson's been playing, and it feels like ever since we've really started to shine the light on that, he's just been shrinking. Yes, you have the running ability. The passing still isn't there. And, yeah, I get it. You're going to have some injuries here and there. We don't have J.K. Dobbins consistently. Kenyon Drake wasn't the guy he was two weeks ago for you in this game. You got Gus, Gus Edwards back. He came back here with a touchdown. But to your point, Defense wins championships. And if you're not going to have a secondary that no one can trust, again, I think last week, what, they were bottom four in the yards or allowed the fourth most yards. And you can't get a pass rush with the players that you have on that defensive line, starting with Calais Campbell. If you're not able to get a pass rush with some of the beasts that you have there, then I don't know what to tell you. And it's insane because I feel like there hasn't really been that many player drop-offs or just missing talent from what they were doing two years ago when they were just that dominant, no one wants to play against you, Baltimore Ravens team. And all of a sudden, it's kind of coming down here. Is this a Wink Martindale problem? Is Wink Martindale that important to that defense and that defensive mind and just the overall attitude? Because even Marcus Peter exploding on the sideline here a couple weeks ago, or just in general, what that defense is looking like, They have not looked this bad, and I couldn't tell you last time, to be honest with you, because that's how good they've been consistently. But there is something giant missing here, and they need to address it 
immediately, especially with the trade deadline coming up, what, in the next seven, eight, nine days? It's interesting that you bring up Wink Martindale because I do have, I at least had similar thoughts last year because I think that it was a reactionary firing because of that Bengals loss in Cincinnati where they gave up 500 some odd passing yards to Joe Burrow. And we'll get into in a minute why that's not that unusual these days with what they can do in Cincinnati, but they overreacted to a million injuries on that. What if it's turned into a thing, but it's, I bring it up weekly they had the most man's games missed to injury in 20 years last year. And they, I felt like were unfairly critical. Now, who knows? I don't, I'm not Jim or John Harbaugh, but they've been playing musical chairs with defensive coaches between Michigan and Baltimore the last few years. At some point, it's like, are we hiring the best guys or am I helping my brother out? I hope that's not the case, but I, the Ravens, man, it, they have problems. I mean, this is a Jacoby Brissett led Browns offense that isn't explosive when they have to throw the ball. And they were still, again, if it wasn't for the offensive pass interference, they probably win this game outright. But hey, can we get into real quick two things? One, let's go real quick on the Brown side and then talk about that call. I agree with you, opposed to David. So we'll have to talk to him again about this. But Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt ran the ball for 37.5% of their offensive snaps on Sunday. It's a ridiculously low clip when you compare it to other teams that have similar style offenses or at least high-end running backs. That's like 15% low. I understand this is a team that was losing by 10 in the fourth quarter again, but your identity is Nick Chubb. Your identity is having a a well-coached running game, whether it be offensive line play or Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb again, I thought this was criminally low. And at some point that is on Kevin Stefanski at some point that is on the coaching staff. The Browns defense was more than good enough to win this game. They only allowed 254 yards and they forced that late fumble to give the offense a chance. At some point, the offense has to score too. And we can't just keep putting it on Jacoby Brissett time and time again, because at some point the coaches know who he is too. I can understand if it was Deshaun Watson in there. And even then, I think that's going to be a low percentage of snaps that you're that you're running the ball. But am, am I missing something between me and David literally shouting at the top of our lungs here for the better half of the last month of giving our running backs the ball? I don't understand. Yes, I get it that these are way smarter football minds than we're ever going to be because they've been integrated into the game. They've been around the NFL. They've been around the game way longer than we've really been able to pay attention to it. I get that. But at one point, do you actually listen to the crowds here? Even the owner listened to a homeless man about getting Johnny Manziel. Let's get some homeless men yelling about how Nick Chubb needs to get the ball. It blows my mind. I know I keep kind of comparing it with Aaron Jones because I just feel like I'm under the same umbrella as David and the Browns fans right now. Both of them, Nick Chubb, who is leading the NFL in rush yards per attempt, and Aaron Jones behind him, have some of the lowest attempts per game. It doesn't make sense. You have a great O-line. Time and time again, I liked what Jacoby's been doing, but you've got to give your playmakers the ball. This goes back to even Baker Mayfield, ironically, in the in the Christmas Day game against the Packers. You don't throw a single pass in the second half and give Nick Chubb the ball, you're winning the game on Christmas Day. You can say that almost about every single game this year. I don't understand why it's so difficult to give playmakers the ball. There's no excuse either. What You're not making the playoffs at this rate, so there goes your excuse of keeping them fresh. 
You've got to get him the ball. You have a great O-line. Utilize it. And you have a bona fide backup, fringe third-string quarterback playing as your starter right now as a placeholder until Deshaun gets there. And you know what? You're going to need Nick Chubb for the first couple games Deshaun's back so he can get the offense opened up in the passing game. It doesn't make sense. I have no idea. And is it going to drastically change? Oh, we have Deshaun Watson, a astronomically better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. Now we're definitely going to run the ball down your throat. You are going to have to make a conscious effort if you're Kevin Stefanski in the offense when Deshaun Watson comes back because the temptation to throw the ball 45 times a game is going to be there. But I want to talk one last thing. I know we're going through a lot of detail on this game. It won't be this crazy long for all of them. But there was a few on one play, questionable calls, and that was on Cade York's 60-yard game-time field goal with two minutes and nine seconds left. It was initially a 55-yard, a 56-yard, or something like that, until they called what was a false start. They called a snap infraction. I don't want to be – the tape. No one budges. I will no, be that guy. No, no one, one moves. Budges. No one moves. You see on the replay, obviously, the center readjust the ball, move it a little bit. But that happens on every play. If we're not going to start hammering that down, I understand why Browns fans are upset here. The one that upset me more, though, because I thought that was more 50-50 than a lot of people want to believe it was, it was the fact there was two minutes and nine seconds left when they kicked the field goal that was blocked. If everybody stays on the sidelines, I actually have no problem with that time going down to a minute 58, a minute 59, because it's not until the ball stops rolling or down on these blocked kicks that the clock or the game clock is supposed to stop. Was that kick actually blocked? It just looked so bad. And after watching the replay a couple of times, I can't dignify it. I had a couple beers yesterday. So, but I remember watching them like, is that shit blocked or am I blind? You know, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt saying it was blocked because we saw him hit a 58 yard field goal in Carolina to start the year. And the ball was halfway up to uprights. I mean, this one landed at like the 15. So I have to imagine that something happened. Regardless, the ball is in play until it goes into the end zone for a touchback or it is downed. But when, as soon as Ravens players are celebrating a blocked kick with their helmets off, running off of the sideline, the NFL rule is the play is dead. And it was something I missed yesterday when I was watching it first because I thought they got it right. But the clock should have been at like 2.05 left. And the Browns had a timeout. So they would have had a minute and five, a minute and 10 seconds instead of 20 seconds to end the game. And it just, not to be a dick to Browns fans, but it was like, thank God this happened to this Cleveland Browns team that really doesn't feel like they're going anywhere. Because if this was a game that actually affected playoff seating, it would be a catastrophic refereeing game on two different fronts. I mean, it can. For instance, what if the Raiders are making a late season run here, but the Ravens end up just a half game ahead of you because of some weird matchup, same record, but within like the same division or the same conference they have a better record then you'll be looking into it obviously a little bit more personalized for you but there's a lot of teams and with the way the afc is going right now there's going to be a lot of competitive teams and i think obviously we're what nine ten more weeks away from actual playoffs or at least the next seven or eight till we actually see that this could come back and bite in the other direction of baltimore getting the getting the added benefit of this but to your point i think it's it's horrible because that changes. And it's not a whole butterfly effect of, oh, well, if this would have happened, we definitely would have won. Cleveland ends up getting the ball back. But I want to say a little bit less than 30 seconds or right there, like 34 seconds. You have those two timeouts. That 34 seconds or whatever, that could be 
That could be 55 seconds. That could it's be literally, like, yeah, it's like an extra 40 it's, seconds. So for that to happen, and to your point, I can somewhat agree here, but we're going to look on the other side of this, and maybe Baltimore ends up making a run, and this kind of screws out another team that deserves it a little bit better than what Baltimore has. This could be bad. It could be, especially because it would come down to them making a wild card, and if that's the case, it's very likely because of the next team we're talking about here, the Cincinnati Bengals look like they got right. Ooh. If we could Ooh. ever say a team got right, the Cincinnati Bengals did it yesterday. They beat Atlanta 35 to 17 in a game that if people watch this, it wasn't that close. You dig into these numbers a little bit. It was nasty. 537 total yards to 214 for Atlanta. Joe Burrow threw for 344 in the first half. A couple other quick stats, and then I'll throw it over and get your opinion on this game. Atlanta, 13 pass attempts. They were not ever really in this game. And if they were getting that few pass attempts in a loss like this, it really, I think, tells you where Arthur Smith thinks this pass attack is and how desperately they need their next quarterback. Because I like Mariota. I think he's a, an elite backup quarterback in this league. At some point, you got to figure out what you got there in the kid from Cincinnati. I mean, Nate completed a 75-yard touchdown pass with like 30 seconds left in the first half. That accounted for 75 of their 107 passing yards. So 27 other passing yards occurred on outside of one play in this game. Dude, I don't even know what to say. I'll get into a couple more when it comes back. But the Bengals, let's start there. Are we all the way back in on the hype train? I still need a couple. At the end of the day, is Atlanta really that good of a team? I know that we're kind of jumping on them here a little bit. I know I've been a a big supporter of them, mostly because they're ATS here. This is the first game that they've lost against the spread. But at the same time, I don't know if Atlanta needs to completely throw away the Mariota. At the end of the day, you're still tied for first place in your division. That's surprising Mm -hmm. enough. But the Bengals, I mean, Joe Burrow the last two games – just under 800 yards with six touchdowns, zero interceptions, and just a little bit of south at 80% completion percentage at 78%. They've been looking great these last two weeks. Fun fact, this team, and I want to make sure I get the amount of games right, 22 points, including this game, given up in the third quarter. I want to say of their last like nine or like 15 games, doesn't matter if it's nine or 15, 22 points allowed in the third quarter, zero on Sunday to the, to the Atlanta Falcons. Cincinnati just controlled this game. This is the game that makes you feel like they're back because right when you think the Falcons are kind of going to make a run here, and to your point, the closest they got, I want to say, was 28-17 at halftime. It started 21-0 until Atlanta got their first points. And then every time you think Atlanta's going to get something, oh, there's a turnover, maybe they can. Nope, here comes Joey B in that offense, and they just turn it on again. Every time you felt Cincinnati just kept pulling away. They just kept pulling away. So I think it might be a little bit early to say that they're back because we've seen glimmers of this, of this team and what they could do. And then just revert back to the questionable team that we had in the beginning of the year. But as of right now, this team is looking very scary. That offense looks like they're playing well and shout out to the offensive line that easily had their best game of the year this past Sunday. I want to jump back even a second. Cause you brought up the defense and the, the third quarter scoring. I didn't know that one, but just telling you the f- second half in general this year, they've allowed 30 second half points. That's 14 quarters. You can do the math. That's about two points a quarter. I mean, they've allowed no defensive touchdowns in the second half this year. 
it's a team that we like to criticize coaching and I still will because I don't think Zach Taylor is anything to write home about, but this defense, they're figuring things out at halftime. And this is a team that doesn't even have Logan Wilson. It doesn't have DJ reader. They have a lot of pieces missing right now. So it's a very well coached defense. At least it looks like it last thing. And I'll be done overall on this one. Going to Joey Burrow again, and you brought up how well he has been the last two weeks. In the first five weeks of the year, his CPOE, which is completion percentage above expectation, he was at minus 1.8%, whereas the last two weeks, he's up to positive 10.8 in just the last two weeks. That's not an elite level. That is an ungodly level. 10% higher than expected. When the average in the NFL is like 65%, 66 he is at an MVP level these last two weeks. And if he can continue to do that with how well this defense is playing, we might be talking about a team that could be in a Super Bowl race again. They have a very nice stretch of games here. Over the next few weeks, they're in Cleveland against Carolina, in Pittsburgh, in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. But listen to these last six. Chiefs, okay. Browns, eh. Bucks, maybe they have it together by then. Patriots, we don't know what Patriots team we're going to get. The Bills, and then you're ending with the Ravens. So these next few weeks, let's get that confidence up because next thing you know, right now, this is why I want to say it's too early. You still have the Cleveland Browns monkey to get off your back. Joey Bree has still not beaten that team since becoming a Cincinnati Bengal. We'll see how the Carolina Panthers are playing. I'm kidding. Uh, let's see what TJ Watt, when he comes back with the Steelers and see if they're going to be playing here a little bit better. They keep on this trajectory. Of course, they're going to win the AFC North. Maybe they can make noise again and being the defending AFC champions. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers go to Charlotte, North Carolina and get flatlined by the Panthers 21 to three. This is bad. Carolina rushes for 173 yards on the ground against this team. Tampa Bay, the worst rushing team in the NFL offensively, couldn't even crack 50 yards on the ground. And it's not like they really needed to throw the ball a lot. Yeah, they were down seven. It was 14-0, 21-0 before they were able to get that field goal. Like, my God, let's go for it here. You're down three scores. You're going to kick a field goal, and that's where you're going to end with. But Carolina holds Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks to two of 12 third down conversion, one of three on their fourth down conversion, and had them averaging less than five yards a play on Sunday. Tom Brady got too Hollywood on us. He's doing too much shit now over the last couple of years. And I just don't have confidence in this team to turn it around, but in the NFC, if I'm choosing anybody or any team to hop on the bandwagon to turn it around, it's going to be Tom Brady. And I'm blaming it on lack of injuries that they have because they've had their players play. They just look horrible. Looking at you, Mike Evans, we all saw that drop. And we also all saw you sign those autographs for the refs. I know you were trying to sell it on eBay because you're not making your money on your bonuses for whatever is in your contract this year for touchdown catches. But my God, you have to be very, very worried about a Tom Brady team that just lost four of their last five, but yet they are still in the first place and tied for first place with the Atlanta Falcons in that shithole of the division we call the South right now. Like, I don't know if I'm actually crazy or not, but I actually don't think the problem started as much right now with Tom Brady as a lot of people want to believe. We know the offensive line's not been great, but the problem to me is coaching – Again, we talk about this is a Todd Bowles-led team now 
after Bruce Arians was kind of forced out by what we believe was Tom Brady this spring, Todd Bowles, his identity is one defense. He has been that way for decades. He's had some of the best run defenses of all time, whether it be in New York with the Jets, whether it be here in Tampa Bay. They are run of the mill. They're an average run defense right now. They gave up 173 yards on 27 carries to a team that they knew was going to have to run the ball to be successful because P.J. Walker isn't going to be able to really beat you through the air. I know, I think he had something like 11 of 12 or something like 177 yards, but all of that comes from, and it stems from the inability to stop this rush attack. I mean, between Chubba Hubbard and Donta Freeman, this is not a team that ever should beat you. We talked about how embarrassing it was for them to be a 10 and a half point home dog. And it's because of how bad that offense is. I was telling you pre-show, I wanted to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you and everybody at home now. When was the last time in Tom Brady's career has he been three and four or worse this stage or later into the football year? I want to go. Well, I can already knock out, what was it, 2010? Because that was the undefeated season. So I can already knock that one out. Wait, 2008? Was it 08 or 10? That was the first go-around against the, yeah, the Giants. Okay. You're right. So 08. That's a beautiful thing that we have is that two historically great Patriot teams choked against New York, and I love it. It was 08, and then the following season was an 09 when he tore his ACL. So he was out in the first or second game. I might be wrong. I I was going to say, I think that he tore his ACL before his perfect year. And it was like revenge tour for Tom Brady. So give me me the 2007 season. You know, you went back 15 years and you didn't even go back far enough. The last time he was three and four or worse was 2002. The year after his first Super Bowl and people were, oh my God. Should we go back to Bledsoe? Was he a flash in the pan? Is he not that good? And we've been trying to bury Tom Brady every time that he's had these two-week stretches or really bad three-week stretches for the last 10 years, and I'm not going to fall for it. My eyes see the, the regression that we all see. Yes. But at some point, it's Tom Brady, and I am a little kid. I feel like it's, no, Santa is real. I don't care what you guys say. This is Tom Brady. This Buccaneers team will figure it out because he won't let them not figure it out. That reminds me of something, and I know I'm going off subject here. Before I move on to the next game, Green Bay didn't convert a single third down on Sunday. Last time that they did that, 99. That's crazy. How many third downs? uh, You had to have had probably somewhere between 6 and 10. Something like that. I want to say 0 for 8, 0 for 9, something like that. It's it's bad. It's a bad time to be a Packers fan. Yeah, it's one of my favorite words. It's suboptimal. It's a suboptimal time. Exactly. We have the Kansas City Chiefs winning 44 to 23 up in San Francisco where the Niners, they just weren't ready for this Chiefs train. McCole Hardman, they weren't ready for McCole Hardman. Going hammer for three touchdowns. You have Juju. 124 and a touchdown. He had Mahomes with over 420 nice yards as well as three touchdowns. This is a game you're waiting for for Kansas City. In terms of they're getting the non-stars the ball, and now you're seeing how potent this offense can be without Tyreek. Life after Tyreek doesn't look too shabby. Jimmy G didn't look horrible, 
but just getting sacked five times isn't going to help. But I liked what they were doing with trying to incorporate CMC in here. He got about 10 touches for 26 yards. Once they kind of get him acclimated more, I can see what this offense could do. George Kittle having a great national tight ends day, putting up 18 points for me. I know he had a touchdown. I want to say like eight receptions for like 90 yards, something like that. So he had a great game, but you can see what the Chiefs are really starting to become here. San Fran, I don't know. Where do you want to start here with what your takeaways were, Wally? Do we want to start positive or do we want to start negative? I, I don't know where we want to be. Let's neg out here and then we can add in the positive. All right. Well, then let's start with San Francisco. We all saw it because it was what Fox put up on the screen. It's something we've seen on Twitter probably 18 times in the last 24 hours. But Kyle Shanahan now falls to 1-30 in when his teams were trailing by three or more points entering the fourth quarter. Well, what's his record when he's up three or more points? Because I know that can't be good. You know, I'm happy you said that because I didn't take this as like the sky is falling stat that a lot of people wanted it to be. What I took it as is that if San Francisco, especially with whether it be the Alex Smith types, the Jimmy Garoppolo's, if Trey Lance, who knows if he's ever going to be the big play guy, at some point they need to get a quarterback that can win them games when they fall behind because the recipe has been for years now, get a lead and sit on it. And they weren't able to complete that in that Super Bowl against the Chiefs probably what, four or five years ago now. And it's been a problem since. Like, if you're not able to to run out the clock against these elite teams last year against the Rams in the NFC title game, there's a problem with the recipe of getting leads and sitting on it. You have to be aggressive in 2022. I guess this is a way to transition into the positives with the Chiefs. You start this game up 10 to nothing. You feel on top of the world. This is a, a team that people are bringing out 85 Bears and 2,000 Ravens stats to show how impressive this 49ers defense has been. And after that interception, all the Chiefs did was six of their next seven drives were touchdowns. And even that one that wasn't a touchdown was a 73-yard drive that ended in a missed field goal. The Chiefs, when they want to, to be good, when they are locked in, I don't know if there's an offense I'd rather have, and that includes the one in Buffalo. I mean, this is now the second time now in the last month we've seen them basically just decide to take over a game. They fell down 17-0 to the Raiders and didn't basically get stopped the rest of the game, and here they do it again. Is this the Chiefs or is this the 49ers? It's like the Chiefs have that little, like you said, they'll turn it on whenever they want, and they wait for like the most like minuscule thing and then just pull out the Michael Jordan meme. I took that personally. And then all of a sudden they just explode. And like I said, you know, I was the first one to be on the, on the chiefs hate trade last year, being realistic about how that team really wasn't that good all around. And not until a little bit later in the season, they started turning it on. Yeah. This is a team that no one's going to want to face. And right now, and I'm Buffalo, man, I don't want to see this. Right. Cause you know, we talk about it all the time. It's so hard to beat two teams in the same season, let alone beat Pat Mahomes twice. We know the Bengals did it, but my God, they had a fight tooth and nail where they just didn't have it anymore. Once they got to the Super Bowl. But you have the offense playing great. Pat Mahomes is, he's more dangerous, right? Because he has more people to throw the ball to. We know where he was going if it was either Tyreek or Travis, right, for the most part. But now you have other guys. Marquez Valdez scaling had over 100 yards on three receptions. That's what this guy can do. Juju Smith having a great game. 
124 for a touchdown. This is what he can do when he's not the number one receiver. Yeah, Travis Kelsey even had six for 98. He didn't score a touchdown, big fucking whoop. He screwed my touchdown parlay here a couple weeks ago, scoring four instead of letting Noah Gray have it. I'm not still upset. But now they spread the ball. They're even getting Isaiah Pacheco, who came in as the starter, out carrying Clyde edwards Tolaire, who still came in and made an impact and scored a touchdown. And then you add Jarek McKinnon, who comes out of the back. They, they are just loaded with weapons. And I don't care what defense you have, San Francisco here included, they will find a way to find your weakness and exploit it. If it's a jet sweep from McCole Hardman, if it's Juju Smith getting the ball, if it's Travis Kelsey still being dominant but not scoring a touchdown, they will find ways. And they have other tight ends that they play. Noah, Noah Gray, like I said earlier, a couple of weeks ago, you had him running in like almost, I don't even know what you call it, a wildcat formation, but he just goes under center, snaps the ball and play. Andy Reid, he's been reborn here for the last couple of years, but my God. This team is good. Their defense isn't an Achilles heel like it has been over the past couple years, it feels like. And they're just a overall one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Top three. I still think I'd give the nod to Buffalo because I like some of their pieces a lot better defensively. But, man, the Chiefs are looking scary. More or less, it turns into – I'm with you. I think that if it was in a vacuum, I'd still have the Bills. But it is just – more critical than ever before that they don't have that Bills game against the Jaguars. They can't afford to go back to Arrowhead in the AFC Championship game. The road has to go through Buffalo. You don't take a chance. Arrowhead, I know they lost to the Bengals last year, but you don't want to go to Arrowhead. That place is crazy. We've seen it too many times. The Chiefs are way too comfortable there. I'm very with you, Stephen. But let's talk about another couple teams here. Another AFC West, NFC West battle. Seattle goes to LA, quotation marks on that, on the road, as we always say, against the Chargers team. And Seattle does it again. They're four and three now. They are in sole possession of first place. And it is October 24th as we record this. That is unbelievable to me. Let's start, I guess, on this one with the losing team again and work our way to the positives. The Chargers, they have more injury problems. J.C. Jackson, dislocated knee. You have a team now that has a lot of offensive pieces. We keep getting told that this is an elite offense. I know Keenan Allen's been out most of the year. He tried to come back. It sounded like he might have re-aggravated his hamstring again, which just goes to show why you don't push these hamstring injuries. But the Chargers are who the Chargers are. They can't stay healthy. Whether it is going to be... Coaching, injuries, poor play. The Chargers never disappoint because all they do is disappoint. It's what we expect from them. I'm thankful that I'm a Raiders fan, so I get to laugh at it every year because <laughs> every it's week like, at this point. Yes, it's it's the other spectrum. It's the other end. Like you have the the Raiders, Browns, Jets, Lions, that miserable section, the Washington Commanders, that group of fan bases that just feel like if it can go wrong, it will. We're going to go four and 13. Charger fans are going to almost argue that their situation's worse because what they do every year is almost even worse. They have Super Bowl aspirations and then they they flash it too. There are yes. moments you feel like they're the best team in football. And then this year happens where the entire offensive line's hurt, the entire defensive line's hurt, half the wide receivers are gone. Justin Herbert's playing through torn everything in the middle middle like his rib cartilage all that shit 
Yep. This is hell. I, I love it. I know I shouldn't. I, I should be pretending to be unbiased, but I'm not. This is awesome. The Chargers are the Chargers, Stephen. First off, great call on your end, Wally. You're always the one last week that's like, hey, oh, they just played a great game last week. Cool, they're going to lose this one and just completely shit the bed. That Talk about knowing your division, so great call on that. For the record, just got the update. J.C. Jackson out for the year. You have Mike Williams. He's going to miss extended time, to your point, with a high ankle sprain. We'll see what Keenan Allen looking like. Bosa's finally going to get back. It's just the first domino has already fallen. And, my God, how long is this just this tread of, of dominoes? They come out sluggish. They're looking bad. No J.C. Jack. You got no Mike Williams here in the in the future. I just don't know where this production is going to come from. Thank God I have Gerald Everett. That's literally all they have. You have, what, Josh Palmer. You have Carter. I don't even know his first name. Austin Eckler owners rejoice because this dude's about to get the ball a lot. But I want to flip it over here because I'm tired of talking about the Chargers. I think they'll they'll eventually find it next week, and then they'll lose again the week following week. We, this I'm having deja vu because I felt like we had the same conversation last year about this, how they they win one lose by 15, win by 15, lose by 15. It's time to respect Seattle. You know, I won't say I'm taking them seriously, but we're getting to that point. Brian Dayball, in my eyes, is coach of the year candidate number one. But we need to start talking about Pete Carroll being coach of the year right now, the way that he has his boys playing. It's huge for DK not needing surgery on here. This dude's still trying to get back to practice Wednesday after having, I want to say, a patellar tendon problem. So I can't, it's not a dislocation, something along those lines. It's the kneecap for all you non-science nerds out there. But I think it might be time to get Pete Carroll a little, some of his flowers here and start pushing for coach of the year a little bit. And not only that, at what point do we have to entertain the idea again, if this team goes 11 and six, if this team goes 10 and seven and win the NFC West, there has to be a real discussion made of Geno Smith in the MVP. That sounds for sure crazy. If he keeps his trajectory up, I mean, the dude is playing out of his mind and it's not, and it's not the normal Geno Smith, which you were kind of vouching on of, is he amazing? No, but is he going to turn the ball over? No, he's not. He's not turning the ball over and he's playing some damn good football, right? He's getting these people involved. I mean, Kenneth Walker has a lot to do with that as well. It's funny that we give, yes, we know Seattle's a run first team and we always dog about how bad Seattle's offense is, but they're one of the, one of the best run blocking offensive lines in the NFL right now. And Kenneth Walker is popping off. I, I always like these teams, right? And of course it's led by Pete Carroll. It's just a bunch of nobodies. Right. And if you are somebody you're hurt and you're not, or you're not on the team anymore. So I love this energy that Seattle's creating up there. You said it. They're the first in the West right now. Who would have ever thought that? And as high as Wally has been talking about the Seattle Seahawks, and Geno Smith, I know in the wildest of your takes and dreams, you were never going to say that they're going to be first here by the end of November, end of October, excuse me. No, because I, I thought they were a team that was going to win seven games. And I was like, guys, I yep. want you to, like, be patient and not hate Geno if they go seven and ten. Don't be screaming, let's replace him, because I don't think the quarterback play was the reason that they were going to be that way. And I think this is another example. You brought up Kenneth Walker to third. And that's a great call on your part because 23 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns. You can't speak enough to that. But he was kind of that high-profile rookie that they brought in that everybody was excited for. We talked all year about the Jets and how great their class looks. And it is. It's very good. Look at what they've done because of it. But the Seahawks right now have one of the best rookie classes that I can ever remember. 
you have, of course, Kenneth Walker, the third, who looks great right now. You have Boye Mafe, the linebacker that's playing at a very high level. Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, both offensive tackles, both starting, both playing at a very high level. Kobe Bryant, he's a functional nickel corner. And then Tariq Woolen, a guy that's six foot four, converted wide receiver that ran a four two six, basically just showed up and said, I'm a freak athlete. I can't play the position. Coach me up. And he's turning into a guy that looks like he could be a premier corner in the league. It's just he has he has some of the best grades. And I don't mean to interrupt because I, I don't know if you're gonna do. bring this up, but he I think he has one of the like the lowest catches and just like overall best coverage um rating with pff take that with a grain of salt because we're ready to crucify him when it's a bad grade but we're ready to talk him up when it's a good grade so kind of take that that pff rating there but yeah these are some names i'm i'm that are being dropped and i'm like who where and they're playing well and he tweeted last week because of what you're saying because he is doing great grading but so he i think either had a pick or he had a pass break up on fourth down and he says well it's just confusing to me that you would throw at a six foot four cornerback that runs a four two six and it's just like it, we're at the point right now where the Seahawks guys are talking that talk. They're confident in the defense. We after that Falcons, Lions, and Saints stretch, where they looked like an all-time bad defense. All they did is give up three points last week to Arizona and give up 23 points and forced two turnovers against an offense we thought could be a Super Bowl offense this year. So we know how Pete Carroll is and how he is a and fantastic coach. It feels like this is turning into a special group. I feel awesome because not only does this get to like rub it into Charger fans, it's also rubbing it in of course. to Denver fans because, God, do they feel like they got the worst end of that trade as it sits right now. I know the Chargers just aren't there yet. They can't stay healthy. They cannot play consistent each game. Brandon Staley on the hot seat. Because with the defense that they have, one healthy, in my eyes, you need to get an offensive-minded coach. You're going to file in somebody. doesn't matter, dude. You get a subpar defensive coordinator with the stars that you have at each level of this defense, you're going to do well. And obviously, you have a great defensive mind that really hasn't doesn't have your healthy or not have your defense playing well. I don't care if you're not healthy. 37 points given up to Seattle, which I know they've been playing well, but come on, you have, you have, you're out decaf matchup wise. You guys should be dominating them. And you're just not Sean Payton, Los Angeles chargers, 2023. I keep seeing all these stories come up about how that's one of his teams. It's awesome to be the crazy scientist head coach when things are working, but when they don't, that media room, that locker room, that fan base is going to turn quickly. And I think you're right. I think he's very much on the hot seat. Last game of the week, though, at least it, that we're talking about, Monday night game. We're going to do our little thing here in a little bit. But Pittsburgh last night on Sunday night, they lost to Miami 16-10 to in a game that saw zero second-half points. Second time we've seen that this year on primetime, crazy enough. But the story was two late fourth-quarter picks from Kenny Pickett, when they were driving in deep into Miami territory, that felt like the difference. Is this a Miami team that you think can play themselves back into the playoffs? Because this isn't exactly the world beater Pittsburgh Steelers were used to, and they had a real difficult time putting them away yesterday. 
Well, not only are you going up against Mike Tomlin in that mind, you're going up against your former head coach who just got out of a lawsuit with you that was had this game circled, right? Against the quarterback that he was getting a lot of slack on that they ended up tanking for. They get him. They didn't, he never really wanted him, but he played it. So I know there was a little bit of animosity and he was fired up for this game in Brian Flores, if you didn't catch that here, but I think Miami can play themselves in here. You know, this gave me a lot of, gave me a lot of the feeling like the first game against the New England Patriots. Nothing really wowed me. Tua was exactly who he thought he was, yada, yada, yada. Then they ended up having a nice couple game stretches against the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. And that whole outlook on what you think the Miami Dolphins are, are gone. But after watching that, and yes, I know the whole game in itself really wasn't that impressive. The first quarter, though, you cannot tell me that this Dolphins team is not better without Tua. He is clearly the guy that, that makes this offense tick. And I get it. Mike McDaniels, the guy that I like a lot. He was my he was my coach of the year candidate here in the beginning of the year. He schemed up a great offensive game plan for for essentially two or to get rid of the ball very quickly. I think he was getting it rid of it within the first three seconds of it, which is that's the type of offense you need. And they looked great in spurts. Jalen Waddle getting the ball, Tyree Kill getting the ball, Raheem Mostert's looking great out of the backfield. Even Mike Gusecki, who's been brought up in a lot of trade talks, was had a couple nice catches here. The best gritty in the league for the record. But to answer your question about the Miami side of things, I definitely think that they can get back into the swing of things here. Just that is just the nice game to kind of get to a, you know, get his feet right back in the water, make sure it gets a little bit lukewarm so it's comfortable for him. But you can't take it away anything that we always have been preaching for the life of this podcast. Mike Tomlin is a hell of a football coach. He knows how to get his boys playing. And you know what? They looked at TJ Watt away from a win. He's going to be coming back here sooner rather than later. Everything is going to be okay. But to flip it over to the, to the Steelers side of it, are you sticking with Kenny Pickett, Wally? Or is it time to bring Mitch back and kind of look yourself in the mirror? It's what I said a weeks ago is that you, if you were starting him going into this stretch pre-buy, you have to be married to the idea of you might get shitty looking play at times. And let's not uh, like give him a pass versus the other where he threw three picks. Tua also in this game, he had three drop picks. It was the most a defense has dropped all year. So there was rust from both of these guys here. I think, though, if asking sticking strictly to Pittsburgh for a second, you have to just understand that this season isn't about this season. He's going to struggle, but there are a lot of flashes where he looks like a quarterback that should at least be a starter for a long time in this league. But they have this next week. They have Philadelphia on the road. That's tough. Then you finally get that bye that we were talking about. And from there, you at least have hope that it should get easier because after Dubai, you have Saints, Bengals, Colts, Falcons, Ravens, Panthers, Raiders, Ravens, Browns, where that is a lot easier than what the Steelers have seen in the first seven games. Probably shouldn't have started him to begin with, but now that you have, you have to understand this was a possibility. You can't spell Pickett without pick. Don't forget that, Wally. Pittsburgh you know, always has one of those guys. Their college know, head, their kicker was blew it. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't, but I like that. That's how much I don't give a shit about the Steelers, like overall, like, way back in the day. No. but well, that's fine. You're good. Though. That was the Panthers, anyways. The number one person that wants to see Kenny Pickett stay and keep throwing interceptions, Peyton Manning, because that man has been looking for someone to break his rookie record, and this finally might be the year. What did he throw? Do you remember what his rookie interception record was? 
I want to say it was something like it was like in the twenties, right? Yeah, it it was definitely. I want to say twenty nine for some reason, but that's got to be way too high. Well, if we had thirty from Jameis in his thirty thirty year, it has to be a little lower. But I'll find out on that, and and I'll shout it out here at the end of the show. Twenty eight. Oh, there you go. Twenty eight. Wow, it was even higher than I thought. So that should be hard for Pickett to get to. Uh, That would be, that would almost be impressive. Right, but yeah, especially with missing the first couple games. But hell, if the dude keeps throwing three interceptions here, he's he's gonna shatter that. Hey, you you said it. Can't spell pick it without pick. I love it. Before we head out of here, let's kind of give our hindsight twenty twenty picks on what we think this prediction could be for the Chicago Bears, who the line is now moved to not at least on my book. I have it at Chicago are nine and a half point underdogs headed up to Gillette Stadium against the New England Patriots. Give me the under. This is going to be an ugly, ugly game. Give me that under. Give me Chicago plus nine and a half. There's no way I can see New England putting up a 10 plus spot. I like the glimmers that Chicago defense has kind of played here a little bit. Like I said, I want to say last week, they're looking somewhere around like a top four, top five, like passing unit. The rush defense can have a lot of work, but I think that's where Damian Harris, uh, Ramondre Stevenson can kind of take advantage of this game here. That's a lot of points. New England's never going to trail in this game. With you, the under is definitely going to hit. But they're going to get into a tie for that all-important seventh position at four and three. All the AFC East teams are about to be above 500. And who could have seen that coming, given where we were after that Baltimore-New England game early in the year? Who do you Have you seen who's starting for this game? Because I've still not really heard anything. But either way, Patriots should be fine. Mac Jones looks like he's going to be slated to make that return from the ankle injury here. So it looks like he's going to be playing. All right. Well, so he's going to get that. And you'd imagine, and everybody's talking about it, but it'll be fun to watch for the simple fact that Bill Belichick is going to pass George Hollis tonight. And it's against the Bears, which is very fitting. Legendary. Very legendary. I mean, the ESPN and the schedule makers for the NFL knew what they were doing, not only making this a primetime game for this reason, but also scheduling this time of year to hopefully pass him. But he'll pass hit, uh, George Hollis at 324, which leaves only the legendary Don Shula at 347 ahead of him. Crazy. It is. With that, that's going to bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down. Shout out to our sponsors. we got tabbies.com. Use promo code football for 20% off that order, as well as free shipping. And Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop marketing agency. Head to abbyturnerphoto.com. Check it out for yourself. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Loss of Down and Twitter, down underscore loss. Wally, do you have any parting words for the fans? I'm taking it one week at a time, as you said earlier in the show. Got to have the Raiders beat the Saints, and then they have to go to Duval. Two straight southeastern trips. Raiders don't play well on the East Coast, so it'll be interesting. But if they find their way back to 4-4, four and four, Stephen, I'll start slowly to buy back in. I follow way too many people on Twitter that are Packers homers and everyone just keeps talking about how they're just going to beat the bills. It'd be the most, it'd be the most bills Packers thing ever. Josh Allen has a Josh Allen game. Green Bay comes out from like the fucking undertaker meme and wins by like one point and the whole world is going to flip. But Aaron Rodgers opens up the first time in his career as a double digit underdog. I was just going to ask what the spread was. 10 and a half right now. Saw it open up at 11. It looked like it moved down to 10 and a half. Aaron Rodgers, when he is an underdog of seven or more points, is 0 and 4 straight up at 3 and 1 against the spread. So we'll look into that here a little bit more. I have no confidence in that. I can see this going to 3 and 2 against the spread. 
but that is a lot of points. I gave you permission to hate me if the Packers lost three straight games outright after I took them was a big favorite. So I think out of respect to you, I'm going to take the Bills minus 10 and a half next week. And that way I can will myself back into your good graces. Yeah, just don't bring this bad juju to Vegas when we're going here in a couple weeks. We're crossing fingers for you. For the record, I've been asking the boys about the whole Carrie Underwood top 10. Everyone thinks you guys are insane. That's funny because maybe it's just people are trying to be nice to us because we're on the pod, but we're getting the same reflection the other way where it's, oh, Steven, that guy's crazy. Carrie Underwood, she's a babe. For the record, I I never ever denied that Carrie Underwood wasn't a babe. She's just not a top 10. See, and I think that, uh, like all things, I'm more in the middle of where you guys are. But because it came off when we were wa- or talking live that it was like pro and anti. I don't know how many I'd have ahead, but I'd probably have it right around that 10 spot for me. I'd have to sit down and do math. And the reason I got into it is I was obviously talking about how my girlfriend and her mom were going to go see her. David's like, well, she's really hot. I can promise you my girlfriend and her, and her mom are not going to see her because she is attractive. Because they like the uh, music, you don't know so that. I think that I don't know that. <laughs>